Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. You know when you have somebody in your life that is like a father, uh, not just like a father figure, but truly like someone you can call on, somebody who just understands you no matter what. Well, there's only a few people in the world uh, that I have in my life that understand me that deep, and one of them is Peter Booth. I could give you a long bio about his credentials, but most importantly to me, he's a true friend, a man who uh, sought to understand me and spend time with me and uh, love me like a son. And today, it's a privilege for me to have a chat with him at Kingdom Stories from Dananda. Peter, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Now, it's, uh, I met you probably about 10 years ago, if I'm not wrong, uh, possibly at a Southern Cross advance or uh, maybe one of the prayers. But, you know, you, you took a, uh, an intentional interest in me which is not very common. People, you know, they're interested and they'll chat, but you you stopped and inquired and went deeper, both you and Kath. You wanted to understand me, to get to know me, to... You, you, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just meeting somebody again. It mattered to you. And that really touched me. And... Uh, made me connect with you and Kath on a deeper level. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for telling me. <laughs> I was interested because of the things that you were doing at the time. Yeah. Overseas. Yes. And in other matters as well. And you were also at my ordination and you prayed for me. Yes. Which is also significant. Yes. So you've, um, you've been for a few milestones of my life. And uh, I thank you for that. And tonight you answered the call to come to Kingdom Stories, which is really beautiful. Yeah. So let me just ask you this. When, uh, when you meet somebody for the first time and they say to you, so Peter, what do you do? What do you tell them? Well, these days, yeah. uh, it depends on who they are. <laughs> so you change the story, do you? I change the approach. <laughs> you change the approach. <laughs> No, it, it does depend a little bit. Uh, sometimes I say I'm in ministry. If I'm talking to a government official of some kind, they generally call me a reverend, yes. which I never use. What is a reverend anyway? <laughs> well, the Bible has it in there, but uh, I don't agree with it because that's, that's not who I am. That's what I do. Yes. It's so a... I don't agree with it. So I just don't use it. It's a function, not a title. I've been in churches where they've got 40 pastors and they greet every single one of them as pastor. Yes. And uh, I had to get used to it because Paul said it, if you'd be a Jew to the Jew. And yeah, and a pastor to the pastors. And therefore I fitted in. <laughs> so, what do you, so to some of them you say you're a pastor or a minister? Yes. What else do you say? Um, to others? I don't think I've got a lot that uh, comes to mind, really. It, it varies, so I don't have any line that I pull out. No. In fact, as I've got older, I've rather enjoyed the idea of responding 
a little bit along the lines of the Duke of Edinburgh, who gets into trouble yes. with his ad-libbing. Okay. Well, I rather enjoy doing a bit of that as well. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, I think that's one of the luxuries of being old. You can just about get away with anything, like kids do, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. I think we go back to the kids' stage, actually. But with a lot more wisdom. And I think when you're older, you can, you can do it as you please. And <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> I survive on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where did it all begin for you? Uh, you were born in Mount Barker, weren't you? Yes. Uh, my grandfather settled there when he came out from England. Okay. He had the difficulty of being a third son. So the mm -hmm. two older ones inherited the business. Yes. And he had to go somewhere and came to Australia on a sailing ship. Okay. So my father came out when he was about three or so, and my mother came out when she was around four. Yes. So they settled in Mount Barker, and my grandfather founded the cooperative there. Okay. With his English Plantagenet. Yes. Plantagenet area. And uh, with the, all of his contacts back in London, in the East End and elsewhere, he was able to put together timber and wool and apples, particularly yes. fruit. And so he was a merchant. So uh, he... Or did he ship? Uh, did he... He set up the cooperative. Farm? Okay. Which was, as you probably remember, bringing together all of the people. Yes. Who wanted to be in it. Yeah. And then they just supplied everything and he put it on the ships. Oh, wonderful. So he did a good job. He opened everything up. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a massive uh, building there. The co-op building is still there. It's become a shopping centre now. Yes, it has. It's an IGA. But in my day, I used to go there and watch the ammonia plants driven by enormous steam engines with yes. these enormous flywheels. Yeah. And as a young fellow looking at these things, I could have watched them for ages. Yeah. Now, whether that sparked my interest in engineering or not, I don't know. But so you, you, you grew up in town, in Mount Barker? No, we were on the farm. On the farm. How far? That influenced me. Kendon up or? Uh, just out of Mount Barker on the north side. Okay. There's a hill there that's still known as Spring Hill. Uh -huh. And uh, we had property on both sides. Nice. But uh, we took on a grant uh, property. Uh, Queen Victoria rewarded one of her admirals, Admiral Preston. Yeah. for a battle mm -hmm. and gave him this block of two and a half thousand acres so we, bought, we bought that my grandfather bought that smart man but then uh, he wanted to get into farming in a general sense because he was in the business anyway in the marketing yes. and yeah. uh, coordinating everyone so um, we we did that but he was uh, inspecting one of the company timber mills mm -hmm. and uh had an accident on a saw, which I would need to go into, and that death put our family into into a survival mode. Oh. So we had a tough time. Mm. And uh, we ended up uh, getting, we, were, we went to school and to university. Yeah. Because we kept just selling blocks off the farm. To just the last one. Subdividing. Which, yes. The last one was 300 acres. Oh. So... Uh, I did a lot of work on that farm. That helped me realise that uh, since Dad wasn't around much... Yeah. How old were you? Uh, I started on the farm driving tractors when I was about maybe 10, 11. Yeah. And uh, I don't know whether, whether it sparked my engineering bent, but yeah. at the age of 12, I gave the tractor an unnecessary top overhaul. 
Huh. And why my father let me do it, I still don't understand. But well, it's that good fun. that he did. That was fun. So you still remember your childhood? Oh, pretty well. Yeah. We were a terribly dysfunctional family. That helps you to remember it. <laughs> and hopefully it guides you not to do the same thing. But regrettably, the Bible teaches us that that does happen. Were so they, were we they had, uh, people of faith, your parents, or not much? Uh, no, we all went to an Anglican church three times a year, I think. Yeah. So I understand Easter and, and Christmas. When was the third time? Uh, by accident, possibly. Okay. Okay. So it wasn't, we didn't have a very spiritual upbringing at all, really. But as a youngster, I knew, I, funnily enough, I somehow knew the Lord. And uh, I was actually, I had a, a tongue language in the days when I was eight. Yeah. And uh, I still can't understand that one. Okay. But it took ages before I, I got through I avoid Christian life at Scotch College, and yep. then I went to St George's College, and didn't get any improvement. Okay. And after, around about that time, I came to know the Lord. And, uh, so at Scotch, you were boarding at Scotch. Yes, for three years. That must have been quite expensive for your parents to keep you in the school. That's how we came to start selling land. Okay. Every year we would sell off a few hundred acres. To educate. Mm. Wow. What a uh, price your parents paid. It, it was, but it was difficult. Yeah. And then you went to do engineering? Yes, I didn't know what to do. And uh, they give you a test to try and find out what you should do. Yes. And I ended up uh, with them telling me they didn't know. <laughs> so that you read the test. a problem. So uh, I don't know why I wanted to go to, to university, but I did. Yes. I could have stayed on the farm, but I knew that somehow I knew that I'd be limited. Sure. And uh, that's how I ended up going to the university and to St. George's College. Mm -hmm. And then uh, engineering came because I was mechanically minded. Yeah. And it was the only thing I thought I'd really enjoy. Yes. Now, I did enjoy it, but it was a five-year course in those days. Of course, much longer. Uh, one in one year, you went away for practical work. The final year? Uh, no, the penultimate year. Okay, fourth year. And um, I uh, did a holiday in a workshop in Mount Barker with a very innovative uh, Dutchman. Mm -hmm. And that's where I learnt my welding skills and various other things. But then I went to weapons research facility in South Australia on the Blue Streak rocket. Yeah. Uh, working in uh, one of the labs there on camera shutters of all things mm -hmm. and um, uh, the following year I went to BHP for my break, three months. Nice. And I was working in the steel mills. Mm. So I got a very good basis for yeah. engineering work just without going away. Mm. So it was good. And then your first job, real job? Uh, I didn't have a real job after that either <laughs> because it, it's interesting that my sub-leading year, my father was ill with yeah. a nervous disorder and he went away on a boat trip. So I ran the farm for that sub-leading year. And then because I'd started correspondence in the primary school, yeah. I was a year ahead of everyone else. Ah. So that didn't, uh, that, that, it was after I finished the leading exam that I had another year off yeah. on the farm to try and get the farm moving again. 
Yes. So I missed two years out of three. And then I went to university and caught up with everyone else again. We all fit wow. together. That's amazing. But then uh, because uh, I wasn't really an academic, mm. I, I got through the course. Yeah. But, you know, years after I left, they, I, was at, uh, I was appointed to the advisory board in engineering at the University of WA. And one day the, the professor of mechanical engineering came up to me and very quietly said, uh, you know, you didn't quite make it in those final exams. He said, but I put you across the line. Wow. So I was a person that just made it. Yes. But I had some flair somehow or other yeah. and went on to, uh, to have a lot of fun. Wow. So when did you become a Christian? Probably... Uh, I would say it, it uh, had to be after I left university. How did that happen? Do you remember? Uh, yes. Uh, we, my, <laughs> my wife made a, a vow. So you were married? Yes. Where, we, where did you we meet were, Kath? We, I met Kath when she sat on my knee once. Oh. We were going to the Miss Australia Ball where a couple of the PLC girls were involved. Okay. So, we so she was in, here, and you were at Scotch, or no, you this, were at uni? She was the head girl at Perth College. And you, you were going to uni at that time, or were uh, you at Scotch? I think we were, yes, it was, I was just going to uni first okay. year, I think. So we had this very small car going to Government House to the ballroom, and she sat on my knee, and it just went from there. Mm, I'm sure it would have. Well, it, it couldn't, it may not have, <laughs> but it did. <laughs> So that was good, and, and uh, you know, between us both, the dysfunction carried on, but it's amazing things worked out in our family, and uh, we can only bless the Lord for that. So uh, how did you become Christians then? Cathy uh, knew that she had to, Okay. and I was a camp follower, mm-hmm. uh, and she went to one of the uh, Pentecostal churches, and I came once. And on that particular occasion, they had a rather flamboyant service, <laughs> which upset my Anglicanism. <laughs> so I ref- didn't go anymore. No. And then we found an Anglican bishop in Dal and Dalkeith. Yes. And he had a, a real flair. And as a Christian, he led us into a deeper Christianity, which Kathy enjoyed. Yes. And uh, I began to loosen up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, I matured a little. And I got better, and uh, Kathy suddenly realised I was getting much better, and, that, and that's because we had a conference, and I came to the Lord at the conference. Okay. So it was a good, a good conference, and the Lord, the Lord convicted me. Hmm. And you got baptised? Yes, uh, twice. Okay. I've forgotten the fir- where the first time was, but the second time was in our swimming pool. <laughs> and... Uh, it was like ordination. I seemed to need a lot of baptisms and a lot of ordinations. You had three ordinations. ordinations because I, I, I had three ordinations. That, that you can remember. <laughs> Each one was better than the other. Yeah. But only one marriage. Yes. Well, that, that's what matters. And that's 55 years now. Well done. Well done. So we've managed pretty well, I think. And you have three children? Yes. And yeah. uh, they're... The children are, are doing very well 
Yeah. And the grandchildren are doing exceptionally well. So somehow or other, there was some momentum in there that touched the lives of everyone. Yeah. And now we've got uh, great grandchildren. Wonderful. So yeah. God has kept us going, you know, and we're still both very, very healthy and still full on in ministry and everything. So yeah. it's worked out well. So what's some of the ministry you've done over the years? When did you act? What was the first ministry role you've had? Uh, the first one would have been uh, that uh, I went into the counseling ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went to America to a a ministry over there with the Tubury brothers and they were from North New South Wales really Mm -hmm. so we went there partly because it was an Australian ministry and partly because they were really quite world leading in what they did yeah so they had healing homes and they had a healing ministry and the work they were doing was absolutely amazing because uh, people were getting totally transformed whether they heard a tape or a disc, yes, or a conference, because yeah. the Lord gave him seven conference, uh, seven countries, yeah, uh, where he was going to be ministering, yeah, and Australia was one of them, coming mm. back to Australia, so we became his representatives in WA, yeah, and consequently, they, uh, he and his brother came out, uh, oh, year in year out, yes, and we were the facilitators, mm. so we learnt. A great deal from them. And eventually we went to America. We were ordained over there, came back and were ordained in our church. And then we were ordained uh, in, a, in a ministry in Queensland as well. Yes. So it took three goes for me to get the message, I think. <laughs> you see, I was trained as an engineer and logic just has, has no part no. of ministry. <laughs> so the logic had to go. Doesn't make sense, does it? And my engineering had to go. Okay. And it did. Yeah. It was amazing. I've always wanted to do something in engineering to sort of just keep in touch with it. Yes. And uh, and so far the Lord hasn't allowed me to do that, really. Mm. And most recently you've taken over the Mahogany Creek Church. Uh, No, it's uh, up at... um, uh, Baker's Hill. Oh, Baker's Hill, sorry. Yes, Baker's Hill. There's a small church there, and yep. uh, I've, I've had my own ministry for, I think, uh, what is it, started in 2001. Ephraim ministry. Yes, and uh, I was really serving the churches. Yes. So I was teaching and training and ministering to people, the healing ministry, Yes. for all those years, from, mm. uh, from uh, about 97 in fact. And then I set up my ministry in 2000 because all of my engineering work suddenly ceased. Yeah. And it didn't take me very long to realise it had ceased in a manner that could only be the Lord. Mm. It was just stopped. Yeah. So then I went full-time in ministry. Yeah. And developed a course and started teaching a course. Yes. And uh, doing ministry in churches. Mm. And uh, writing various stuff and doing seminars of various kinds so I was involved in the healing ministry yeah and you've led a lot of people through that you've taken a lot of people even one-on-one through oh, I've been I've a taken, lot of uh, spiritual oppressed oppressed people 
Well, anyone with troubles. Yeah, massive troubles. Demons, uh, yes. drug addictions, anything. Oh, pretty well anything. The Lord just gradually took me deeper and deeper into it. Yeah. So I did a training course and trained about 150 people or more yes. over the years. And I thought I'd do a level two and a level three. But by the time I was ready to do a level two, people weren't doing courses anymore. Yeah. And uh, churches were not allowing ministry in their churches, mm. which is a sad thing to say. Yeah. But um, uh, I just wasn't able to uh, carry, on. carry on in that sense. Yeah. So that's when I started teaching people. And then that gradually faded away because people didn't want to be taught. So I just settled down to ministering to people. Yes. And, you know, it was very interesting. We never advertised. Mm. We never ever did anything except arrange some seminars to yes. train people. So uh, people just kept coming. Yeah. And it was amazing. Yeah. Well, I know I know of a few lives that you've touched profoundly. Some of them have been here, the Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We've interviewed some people. It could be, I guess. Yeah, well, which is just amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, you've helped uh, people transition out of uh, demonic oppression, uh, addictions, and, uh, you know, they've come trumps, they've come on top. Praise God. Yes, well, it's... it's I mean, last year we had about... Uh, I had about... Uh, 10 people a week but the things are changing now mm. this year I would only have two or three people yeah. a week so the Lord's either giving me a holiday but I don't think that's quite his nature yes I think what's happening is we're transitioning because we're living at a time where uh, it's it's very difficult to even minister to people and it's going to get more difficult yeah so um, uh, we've got a change of roles mm. and I'm quite sure that we're entering into a new season. Yeah. So we're going to see our local member of parliament shortly mm -hmm. to talk about various matters that we think need to be changed. What are some of the things that are on your heart? Well, the main thing is that uh, the, the state government is going to introduce some uh, some things that just are not scriptural and impinge on the on the work that the church does. Yes. So uh, we we're, we're trying to influence that. Sure. And uh, we'll just have to see how it works out. Hmm. So uh, the pastors in our area of the hills. Yes. Uh, I I put a, a note in to our local member. Yeah. Uh, on the last oh, the the penultimate day before the last election. Yes. And I uh, said to the member that um, I was going to be wanting to talk to him about matters uh, if they were re-elected. So I set the agenda Yes. when the election was yet to be held. Yes. And now I'm just preparing the letter saying that all the churches in our little area yes. uh, are, are united and we want to talk to them about uh, sure. future plans. Well so we're starting to take a stand, which yeah. I believe we have to do. Yeah. Well, if, if the church doesn't, who will do it? Well, at the moment, no one can because there's no opposition. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, the Labour cleaned up, didn't they, in this election? Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting time. Yeah. 
and the Lord may allow it just to wake most of us up. Yeah. Well, we've been quite slumber, haven't we? Very much so. That's what happened in Victoria. Yeah, I look at the state of, so of they, that place. Uh, they didn't realise they had to act. Yeah. And when the lower house had passed things, they then started to do something about it. Mm. And their proposals were ignored. Mm. Now, the pastors in our state, uh, almost 200 of them, put in a note to the government. Yes. And uh, there's been no response at all. No. So we, we know it's a difficult sure. task. But we just got to push on and press but, on. But uh, we'll do it. Yeah. We want to stand. Well, we our, our fight is in the spiritual world, you know. Exactly. Yeah. What are some of the biggest challenges you faced in life? Uh, well, <laughs> probably quite a few. Uh, the enemy doesn't like the enemy we've got as Christians doesn't like us winning battles. No. So uh, I've had uh, a number of near-death type experiences because of what I've been doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, been, there's been a lot of opposition. Yes. So uh, I've had to deal with those things as they've come up. And... Uh, Were they accidents or...? Uh, a number of things, um, I suppose. Uh, uh, where, where do I begin? <laughs> I was going to mention a couple of things. One was um, a, uh, a man uh, who, who was in, the, uh, um, in Vietnam and uh, was a vet. Yes. And he was uh, quite an outgoing fellow who was t taught how to cure people very, very simply. Yes. And he told me about that sort of thing and uh, eventually uh, I had to confront him on something. Yeah. And uh, he got very, very cross. And uh, what happened was that when I talked to him, he, I was sitting in the car at the time, and uh, this uh, spirit said, I, I could kill you. Mm. And uh, at that time, his veins were out in his neck and his face was livid. And uh, he was absolutely ready to do that. And he could have done it with a very simple blow to here, yeah. which is how they silently get rid of people on sentry duty and so on. Well, they just crush the nose there. Yeah. And that uh, takes a person out without a sound because it destroys the brain function. Mm. So uh, as he was getting livid, and he said, he said that to me, um, that I could... Uh, I could kill you or something, and I said, uh, no, you can't. And I, I was just so calm, it was yeah. absolutely amazing. I actually leaned out of the window into his face. Yes. And I said, no, you can't, because the Lord won't let you. Yeah. And uh, gradually, all the veins relaxed on his face, all of the, the, the heat in his face disappeared, and, and he uh, eventually just grunted and walked away. Yeah. But he could have chopped my nose and I would have been out of it. Yeah. Which he had done to someone else once, but it didn't quite work. He mistimed it. Mm. So that oh. was one example of, uh, <laughs> of, of someone, Near death. someone uh, trying to get rid of me. And then another man came along at one point and uh, he was on our property at the time as well, looking after it. In Mount Barker? Uh, no, this was uh, the farm we had up at Gijigana. Okay. 
and uh, I knew that he had done some things that were wrong, so I went to the local uh, sergeant of police and I said, I'm going up to confront this man and I think I need you to come along with me. Yes. Because he's, he could easily uh, do some damage. And the policeman said uh, that he wouldn't, wouldn't do that. He didn't quite get it. Yes. So I said uh, something to the effect of, well, in, in that case, uh, I'll do it on my own. But uh, you should you should be there, and somehow it registered because by the time I got back to the property, he was there. So we went up together to confront this man who was looking after the property for us, and uh, he he took over. Yeah. And this fellow was told in no uncertain manner that if he did what he was going to do, which was to get rid of me, yeah, for some reason. He was an international figure from Central Europe, so he, he could easily have done that. Yeah. So the, the policeman said, well, you, you're not going to do anything to this fellow. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, the, the chap saw me afterwards and he just grunted and said, oh, you're not worth it anyway. So that was a good thing to say. Yeah. So I, I, I managed to get through that one too. So you really met the devil face to face. Well, five times. Five times? Mm. Wow. Because uh, we were driving, I was driving down to Perth and uh, uh, I saw someone coming into 2J Road. Yeah. And uh, I slowed down thinking uh, maybe they wouldn't stop or something, but they were slowing down. But he slowed down to go through slowly. Yes. So I hit him midships and it broke my sternum. Oh. Which is not good. No. And uh, he rode off the car and then he disappeared into a creek bed and used the cover of the, the bush to get away. Oh. And uh, fortunately, a Christian woman comes along and says, can I help you? I said, yes, I think you better get me into hospital, <laughs> into hospital quick smart. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I did get into the hospital and they had a look at my sternum and it was so broken. Yeah that they sent me into Royal Perth. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was an attempt there to get me, take me out, so that didn't work. So I was in the ambulance going to Royal Perth, got to Royal Perth, and I was on the stretcher going into the emergency. Yes. And the stretcher collapsed. Oh. <laughs> so all of a sudden I was lying there on the, on the floor. Pavement. And what I looked up at Light. was all of these knees around me. Yeah. Everyone was kneeling down trying to do something. Someone was look, lifting my head up in case I'd hurt my neck and someone else was doing something else. And eventually uh, I made a profound statement, which was quite appropriate at the time. And I, I think I said, uh, my body has had enough. I'm going to faint. Yes. Which I probably did. Yeah. And then afterwards, it was <laughs> very interesting. You know, the Bible tells us all things work together for good. Yeah. So what happened was when that collapsed onto yes, the floor, the stretcher, it lined up my sternum. sternum <laughs> so the next day, it was a chiropractic adjustment. They, they said, "You better go home. We can't do anything, but don't laugh for two weeks." Yeah. So guess what the family does? They come and try to cheer me up, and I'm in absolute agony while the sternum yeah. is starting to heal together again. Oh. Anyway, later on, uh, I went to a specialist for some reason because things weren't quite working out. And he said, uh, you know, he said, 
you were within a smidgen of losing having your aorta cut. Oh. He said it was that close. Mm. And that's when I realised that the Lord said, that far no more. Yeah. So it was just amazing. So that was another time that I survived. Wow. So I've had a few of those. Yeah. But it, it was just very, very simply that, that uh, I just had to, I had to trust, learn how to trust God. Yeah. So all my engineering skills went out the window. Mm. And I learned how to be a more humble person and just do what the Lord wanted me to do. Did you have the awareness that this life was like a second gift to you now? Did it, did it matter no. a lot more after going through that death experience? Did it take a new dimension? Because I often hear people yes. who have experienced near-death uh, situations that their life dramatically changed afterwards. Their outlook on everything has dramatically changed. I, I don't think mine was dramatic because at that stage I was really doing quite well in, in adjusting because yeah. I was ministering to so yeah. many people. You see, I ministered to, to a, 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 quite a number of people, really. Sure. And uh, I think it's, uh, well, many hundreds. And um, what, what happened in the, in the ministry time was that I was seeing such a variety of people that I couldn't get into any routine. That's just yeah. not on. The Lord yeah. doesn't work that way. We're no. all unique. Yeah. So as I started to see people more and more over the years and run courses and train people and so on, yeah. uh, I just was able to enjoy what I was doing Sure. and enjoy learning because mm. every person is unique. Of course. So I had to get out of any concept of routine. Yeah into finding out what the Lord was going to do in that person's life. Yeah. And th that, that meant that it was just a, a wonderful experience. How do you listen to God's voice in that very moment? Um, initially, uh, I would learn slowly and, it, and uh, I, guess, I guess I was searching yeah. And I, I recognized that if I didn't do it the Lord's way, I wouldn't get somewhere. Yes. So I had seen a, a huge number of people, really. Yeah. Um, I think it's uh, got to 800, uh, 700 people or something. So it, your engineer mind still keeps count of them? Uh, well, I've got a log because yeah. each file has a number. Sure. So that because some people come back, they, they get to a plateau and then yeah. they come back again and so on. So I've still got all of those file, files. Yes. So uh, that, that has been a wonderful experience because mm. if, if you're doing what the Lord wants you to do with people yes. and every person is unique, yeah. you learn a, an enormous amount. Yeah. It is absolutely amazing what you learn. Mm. So uh, I began to realize that I was on a, a crash course. Yes. And it just kept on following. Wonderful. So it was good, and that's why I started teaching other people. Mm. That's beautiful. How's Kath adapting to all of this? Uh, well, we worked together a bit. We're not working together so much these days because she is looking after her giftings and the way that works. Which are? Uh, she's very... She's very relational, naturally enough, being yes. a female. And uh, she's uh, wanting to work with women mm -hmm. and 
to just uh, go into the depths of things with another group of like-minded women. Yes. So that's worked very well for her. Hmm. So what I do now is um, I get someone else to sit in with me if I have a woman there. Yes. Uh, Occasionally I see uh, women ministers and they don't want anyone else sitting in because what they're dealing with is uh, for them only. Sure. So I just leave the door open and Kathy's usually sitting outside. Yeah. So uh, anyone who comes in, I see. Yeah. Uh, with a couple of exceptions because the enemy sent me one person mm. and uh, I, I had an idea there was something wrong. Yes. So I went to my the members of my board. I had five people that I use as a reference group. Yes. And give a report to annually and talk to them whenever I feel that I need a bit of help. Yeah. So that I'm definitely under spiritual Covered. supervision and covering. And... Um, so I went to them, and uh, two of them in particular, and they said, yes, this is, this is not good yeah. because this guy's going to destroy you uh, if he can, or it's his wife mm. that was using him as a vehicle to get away. Yeah. And uh, consequently, I, when I, the second time I saw him, I said that uh, I didn't really think I could help him, mm. which was true. But had he wanted to be helped and there yes. were no strings attached, I wouldn't have had any trouble with it. Mm-hmm. But that was my way of dealing with it. Because yes. uh, if I said I couldn't help him, in that case, well, that's absolutely true. Yes. And then I found out after that that this woman was already destroying six ministers. Ah, yeah, yeah. With many, many thousands of dollars worth of uh, support. Mm. And I was the next. Ah, yeah, yeah. So the Lord. The enemy was right there. The Lord protected me. Wow, that Lord. is vital. It's good you obviously had the spiritual awareness and also the spiritual backing of the support group that you have on your board. Yes, so, I think we all need that. Yeah. In fact, we don't just need it. It's, a, it's part of the yeah. family of God. Yeah, if you don't have you must some have people it. you're relating to, yeah. you, you become a loner and you can be picked off. Oh. And I know so many people would have been picked off. Yeah. And the Christians do it worse than the world. Like when, when they, they're really baddies, there's some really baddies out there. If they go for you, they really know how to hit hard at you, don't they? Oh, they do. Mm. They, they won't settle for uh, little. They want to destroy everything. They want to destroy you. They want to destroy the ministry. They want to destroy your family. Everything, if they can. Yes, we've had some of that. Yeah. Well, you've survived. How many years have you been together with Kathy? Uh, 55. That's beautiful. What an amazing legacy you're building. Yes, and the, the children have all managed to come through very, very well. So each generation has been better than the last. So we, yeah. we needn't have started something, but praise God that we did. Yeah. And the next generation was good. Mm-hmm. In fact, my daughter got a vision. Oh. She said, uh, she said uh, Dad, I saw you and Kathy, and you were on the top of the hill, and it was pretty barren. <laughs> and she said the Lord showed me that uh, where we were it was green and things were looking pretty good yeah but as we look at our children they're exceptional hallelujah and they are yeah they are amazing that's beautiful it's yeah. it's nice to enjoy the, in this season of life to actually see the fruit of your labor and the fruit of your prayer and the fruit of the investment you've made in them and you know just to see it across generations 
I think this is a, a gift from God. Well, it, it is. We're also in a time when God is choosing his people. Mm. And uh, people are going through a bit of a crash course at the moment. Yeah. So uh, some of our young ones are being refined much more quickly than we ever were. Sure, they're, they're accelerated. But because Absolutely. the times are different and they need that. Mm. They need to, to be uh, very wise and very sharp and very, you know, awake. Because the enemy works uh, different now than it did in our time. In the sense, you know, they're invaded, you know, through media, social media, everything. Yes. Uh, very much with with all this darkness so for them to survive it takes a lot of strength and identity and uh, values and priorities and they come from a relationship of intimacy with god yes fortunately our kids are doing pretty well they're grandchildren now he's got a great grandchild and Mm. another one on the way so we're seeing the fruits of our original initiatives commitment praise god Mm. So, Peter, what's the legacy you'd like to pass on to the generations that will follow you? What, what are you building for the generations well, to come? I think we haven't been there as much as we could have been. Let's put it that way. We mm. had a slow start. Yes. But our three children are doing pretty well in the main. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, in some respects there's some exceptional stuff going on. Sure. And uh, we've got nine grandchildren, and uh, they, they're all gifted. Yes. I mean, I, I look at it sometimes, and I wonder, you know, we've got five people that are worship leaders or in worship teams. Yes. And we've got a couple of others that are gifted in certain ways as well. Yes. So out of the nine, they're nearly all in deeply ministry. In, in ministry. With giftings. And uh, with amazing giftings, really. Yeah. So we can just look at it and support them and uh, love them. And uh, they are the ones that are going to do things. Mm. But uh, we also realize that the Lord uses the old ones too. Yes. So as long as we're breathing, we're dangerous. Sure. (laughs) But it's it's good. We can see some fruits for our labors. So when the great-grandkids look back to their great-grandpa, what should they say? What would you like them to say? Well, they're pretty happy at the moment, yeah. and they, uh, they, I think they really are amazing. And uh, it's hard to—I'm not sure they've—they've told us that much, but we know, we know that there's a great affinity there, mm-hmm. and we know there's a great love there, and, and we know that we would be missed. Yeah. In fact, some of them refuse to think that that uh, we we won't be here. Yeah. So we very gently tried to tell them that that can't always apply but <laughs> so when they remember you what would you like them to remember um, well they do remember that we were there for them all of them that's mm-hmm. the first thing yes and they remember I think that we did we we were supportive mm-hmm. uh, right up to this stage Yes. Because we're both getting on now in years in some respects. Yes. But we're not getting on in years in other respects, of course. Yes. So we're both active. Yes. Very active. So we're still ministering to individuals. Yes. And uh, uh, looking after the church and uh, anyone else that wants to be looked after. Sure. So we're still pretty busy. Mm. 
we're actually very busy. Mm. No one's told us where the slow down button is. No, there is no such thing. No, there isn't either. Yeah, never slowing down. No. That's beautiful because it does keep you active and it keeps you going. And the kingdom of God doesn't age. Our bodies age, but we don't age as such, you know. No, I think we're, in some respects, you know, you actually, if you can relax into things yeah. of God, you improve. Yes. Right, well, not right to the end necessarily. Yeah. But certainly you keep improving. Yeah. And uh, I can say that the, the ministry I do at the moment is more powerful than it has ever been, really. Mm. So at the moment, uh, we're ready to stop yeah. if we feel that we've come to an end. But you haven't. But we haven't. Yeah. And I think the legacy in itself to keep improving, no matter at what stage of life you're in, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, whether you're too busy, whether you're too not busy, whether you've got a business, whether you're old, whether you're young, mm. it's just keep growing, keep going, keep, keep moving. I think it's important. Oh, it is. It is for us yeah. because uh, we we are carrying that uh, purpose. Yeah. And uh, we we would I think we would know yeah. when when the giftings are uh, are not quite as sharp. Yeah. As they were, I'm very conscious of that. Yeah. So at the moment uh, we're having some wonderful uh, results with people. Well, eight hundred plus people on file <laughs> must be. <laughs> You must have influenced a lot of people, uh, yes. those directly, but I'm sure that there's a lot more indirectly that you've touched, so praise God for that. Yes, I, even recently I was at uh, our occupational therapist and uh, I was on the phone actually and this woman came came out and said, and looked at me and said something and, and I said, just wait, I'll be... And I yes. stopped my call Yeah. and she said, do you remember me? And I said, I'm sorry, I don't. Anyway, she was able to tell me that uh, she had been totally transformed all those years ago. Yes. And uh, she was absolutely delighted. So she all was, the people... In she the, was number 242. <laughs> <laughs> all the people in that room yeah. were just amazed because this, this girl was so out there yeah. that she was just revealing yeah. everything that had happened and how she uh, really was set free and everything. And uh, so there, a few other people in the room had to had to listen. They couldn't escape. So Look, it was quite good. Peter, fun. you inspire me right now, and we will finish off. But is it is it too much to ask how young you are? Uh, yes, we're. I'm older than Kathy. You are. <laughs> that's that's good enough. And that's a brilliant avoidance. Yes. No, I I think we could try eighty three. Eighty three, amazing, amazing. Uh, I wanted to ask this because. If you have this um, legacy and mentality to keep going at 83, that definitely inspires me and inspires our listeners and uh, people out there who are thinking about giving up. Uh, if, if Peter Booth at the age of 83 wants to keep going and he's got something to bring, how much more us who are halfway through or you know, not even scratching the surface? Uh, I just think what, what, what you're stirring in me right now is amazing and I'm sure the same is done in the hearts of those who hear us right now. So thank you. Thank you for keeping going because this is a massive, massive model for us, an inspiration for us. And uh, you've scarred me right now 
with this. I'm not. I'm. I'm not gonna forget you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna forget this. And uh, you've done the right thing. And I'm sure some of the people out there who are listening or watching this will uh, will have the same feeling. Thank you so much for coming uh, to Kingdom Stories from Down Under. You've touched us uh, deeply. Thank you, Peter. Well, thank you. Uh, so you've heard Peter Booth speaking. What an amazing story. What an amazing legacy. And if Peter Booth, at the age of 83, his legacy is to keep going, how much more you and I, we need to keep going. So I really pray that this inspires you. And as you watch this, you keep this at the forefront of your mind and in your heart. Don't give up. Whatever it is that you are going through right now, just don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. God is in it. God is with you. God is helping you. And He will help you through this. It's just another bump in the road, as someone used to say. You get over this and keep going. The season hasn't finished. It will finish one day, but it hasn't finished just yet. So carry on. If you love this content, do share it with other people. Do rate it and send us some feedback as well. And we hope to see you next time as we bring you fresh content from Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.